Hey everyone, welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey, and joining me today is returning guest, Jared Livingston. Hello, again. And my wife and uh, Brandon Sanderson beta reader, Lauren McCaffrey. Hey guys. Before we head into the episode itself, uh, just a quick reminder that we're on Patreon. Support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content, such as exclusive episodes, exclusive original fiction, and much more. So take a look at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. But now, a quick summary of the book. The first volume of Mistborn Era 2 drops us into a new world, but one with enough familiarity to keep us engaged. In the 300 years since the events of the Hero of Ages, Sazed has overseen the development of a new civilization, as he is now the combined shard Harmony. Elendel is the crown jewel, a massive city in the center of technological advancement. Motor cars prowl the streets and electric lights shine in windows while people stroll about with guns at their hips. Laxilium Ladrian is a lawman in the outer territories called the Ruffs when he encounters a madman named Bloody Tan. While taking down the murderer, he's manipulated into killing his own wife, Lessie. Distraught over her death and called back to Ellendale to take over his house holdings in the wake of his own uncle's death and poor dealings, Wax must adjust to a new lifestyle. He makes an arrangement with Lord Harms to marry his daughter, Steris, in return for financial stability for House Ladrian. Before their engagement can proceed, however, Steris is kidnapped during a robbery by a group of criminals called the Vanishers. Wax and his old sidekick, Wayne, spring into action to save her. Helped by Steris's half-sister, Marisy, Wax and Wayne slowly unravel the mystery of the Vanishers and discover they're being led by the former lawman Miles Hundred Lives. As a gold-gold compounder, Miles is nearly immortal and makes a difficult match even for twinborn like Wax and Wayne. With the clock ticking, Wax sneaks aboard a train car just before the Vanishers steal it, setting the stage for a final confrontation. The three of them fight the Vanishers to a standstill but can't kill Miles. As Wax and Wayne run out of metals and Miles begins beating Wax, Marisy puts up a time bubble around them, allowing the Allendale constables to arrive and apprehend Miles. Marisy attends his execution, where he rants about the mysterious and threatening god Trell. Afterward, she's approached by none other than Iron Eyes, Marsh himself, still alive after 300 years. Meanwhile, Wax tracks down his uncle Edward, who faked his own death and is now a leader in the group behind the Vanishers. He's left with a mystery. What is the set up to, and why have they abducted women with the bloodlines of Alamancers? This is a short and sweet... uh, I think we were just chatting before the episode started looking at word counts. This is about a 97,000 word book, which is uh, crazy short for Brandon Sanderson. (laughs) Yeah, it's not often that I sit down not intending to finish and then finish without realizing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was surprised again. I didn't remember how long this book took, but it was no time at all. Yeah, and you did the audiobook, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Very Jared, nice. you read the book? Yep. Ebook. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so we all did different formats. I read my <laughs> uh, my hardcover. <laughs> um, I was going to say you your pronunciation, I've always said Marisai. I say Marasi. <laughs> so I said Marasi for a long time too, until like hearing Brandon talk about her so much. He doesn't care that much about yeah. pronunciation. Would you say Marisi? No, no, yeah, Marisi is how Brandon yeah. pronounces it. Yeah. I I did originally say Marasi, but. That's not what I'm saying. Marasi. Does yeah. he give direction to the audiobook narrators on how to pronounce this? Yes, he's he does. got to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so just taking a look at uh, style, um, this not only just in length, but in in the narrative structure of this book, this is a different kind of story for the Cosmere. Uh, while most of the mainline Cosmere books have at their heart a a mystery like this one does with the Vanishers, most of those books have a mystery around the magic. And here, you know, like this is this is new territory for Sanderson where he's already established the magic system. You know, he's we already know how Allomancy and Ferrochemy work. Uh, obviously, the idea of compounding is a little new, but he goes out of his way to explain that for us early on. And there isn't like a mystery of like, we got to solve this thing with the magic in order to solve the bigger problem. Although there's still like a very cool, um, like a manifestation of how the magic is used with more modern technology, like born with bullets, you know? Yeah. And so that's probably like my first big style question is, you know, how does it work for you guys? I know a lot of people bounce off of era two or like haven't even wanted to read it because it's not traditional fantasy tech it's steampunkish you know turn of the century cars and guns and trains and electricity. i love it i, I think it's uh, it's fresh it didn't even occur to me to question reading yeah. it because the style was different um but also i know that this was a completely unplanned project for him yeah. Wait, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. So this was uh, to give a little bit of kind of background lore. Um, when Brandon started writing Mistborn, he originally pitched it as a trilogy of trilogies. He was going to have Mistborn Era 1, 2, and 3, each one a trilogy. And this is the first book in Mistborn Era 2, but this Mistborn Era 2 was not the originally planned Era 2. Uh, he, if I remember correctly, it was after finishing towers of midnight i think he wanted to take a little bit of a breather uh writing like these giant honking you know wheel of time and and he was working on way of kings i think way of kings had just come out and he like sat down to write a character sketch about a a guy riding into town on a chondra horse and Ended up enjoying, and it, as I understand it, I'm not 100% on this, but as I understand it, that character was Wayne. And he enjoyed writing it so much. He's like, I'm going to write like a story about this guy, not just a character sketch. And it slowly evolved from there into a short story, into a novella, into a full-blown novel, into a full-blown era. <laughs> full era of Mistborn. <laughs> and yeah, he originally tried to call it Era 1.5 and... He, I guess he was like getting feedback from people that it was confusing. And he, so he just finally went in and said, okay, this is era two. What was originally era two is now era three. And that's the more like eighties, nineties tech, more modern era that we're going to be getting in between Stormlight five and six. So yeah, I'm with Lauren. It never crossed my mind to not read it. I mean, it's certainly way different from in style than the original Mistborn era one. Yeah. Yeah, like that is a pretty traditional epic fantasy. You got your mm-hmm. swords and spears and daggers and bows and large scale stakes. The end of the world is at hand, you know, and then we go to this where it's totally different technology. 
It's less than half the length of Hero of Ages. The whole story takes, like, other than, I guess, like, the first, the prologue in the first chapter, the whole story takes place over, like, two days, maybe three days. And it's just arrow-focused, very fast-paced. I mean, I remember the day this book came out, I sat down and I read the book in two and a half hours. Like, it was just, like, boom, done. And, like, that's fast even for me. <laughs> yeah, I can't uh, say that I did it that fast. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's like he he really when Brandon gets his story idea like really honed in like this, he is absolutely capable of writing a watertight, super fast, slim yeah, and sleek story. I don't think it needs to be longer. Like, is there a lot of criticism out there that it should be? No, I, I don't think yeah. so. Um, I mean, there are always people who are like, you know, <laughs> who want books to be as long as possible. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think the the choice to have this, not just this book, but this era, um, be shorter books, less epic, less, you know, like. So I guess before I keep going here we are assuming that everybody listening to this episode has at least read Mistborn Arrow one <laughs> because this book spoils everything. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Drew's intro spoiled Sazed. Yeah. So <laughs> um, yeah, the, the hero of ages and yeah, it's, I, I can't imagine there are too many people out there who I, pick up alloy of law who haven't read, you know, the first Mistborn. Trilogy. He does like try and drop in, some things I feel like in, in the beginning of this book to help people, maybe if they did do that. Yeah. So that was one thing I did have note on um, is how much time he spends in the early chapters, retreading how certain aspects of Alamancy and Ferrochemy work. Uh, it, it's, it's much more in that kind of tradition of Robert Jordan, how he would for the first probably half or so of the wheel of time, he would go out of his way to remind readers, this is how the world works. This is how this institution mm-hmm. works. This is how the magic works. You know, uh, it's it, like, I understand it. And it's not like it bogs down this story at all. I think it's a smart choice. Uh, I, I'm sure his editor uh, was happy that he did it. Or if, if he yeah. didn't initially do it, his editor encouraged him to do it because from a financial perspective, Tor wants people to be able to pick up whatever book and be like, oh, they maybe they don't have the end of the Mistborn trilogy in that Barnes and Noble, but they're like, oh, I really liked the first one. I want to read another Mistborn book. They want that sale to happen, you know? Like, so if if people can go into this as a fresh start of a narrative and not feel totally lost, you know. I mean, even yeah, as a returning also- reader, though, I'm cool with it. Like yeah mm-hmm. or or like who knows how much time has passed in between and do you remember all the details right yeah um so one other style point that i have like this is something that i've been noticing more and more uh as i just over the last couple of years because i've read a ton of sanderson in the last two years you know with, with all the beta reading and gamma reading, the secret projects, Rhythm of War, Lost Metal, you know, like uh, Cytonic. I've really had a lot of Sanderson kind of, you know, t- 
to digest. And one of the things that I've started noticing is the way he uses metaphors in his in his writing. And I know I've brought this up on on other Sanderson episodes. I think I brought it up on Cytonic. Um, but he he does have a tendency to, in my opinion, unnecessarily use metaphors. Like he'll describe something and then write another sentence after it, describing it again with a metaphor. Hmm. What's an example? Um, I have to like, of course I don't have the ebook, so I don't have anything highlighted. Um, But I, I know, you know, there, there were examples of like a silhouette in the mist where somebody describes like a, a, you know, somebody looming in the mist mm-hmm. and then there'll be a period and then a description of like, you know, like, like a mountain on the horizon or something like that. And it's like, okay, so we just got the same action described twice. Did we need to have that? Like you, it's like, and, and it's always a separate sentence that starts with that, that like that using that simile there. And I don't love that. Like that's become probably one of my biggest like (laughs) gripes with Brandon's writing. Like obviously I'm a huge Brandon Sanderson fan, but it it is something about his particular style that bugs me. I can't Um, say I've ever noticed that. You have more things than, than you think that bug you. Oh yeah. I mean, I, yes, I I know, (laughs) but, but that is one in particular that I didn't notice until these last couple of years. And it's actually, I'm not going to say that. Um, Is this going to be like, um, where now I'm going to see it all the time and you've ruined it for me. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Forget about it, Jared. You never said Uh, that. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I'm sure there are plenty of readers out there who like it. It's just something that for me feels unnecessary and it doesn't add what probably Brandon feels it adds to I feel like story. it's very context dependent. Like, does it take away from the pacing of a scene or not? Yeah. And I mean, when you have it at 1.8 speed, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> no wonder you can get through the audio of wheel of time. Yeah. Yeah. It really helps. I mean, but also after the fourth or fifth time. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, you don't need all the remember. details. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any style points you want to bring up before I just like take over this entire conversation? Uh, nothing that we haven't talked about. <clears throat> yeah. It wasn't on my mind as much. You're just kind of sucked along by the story. Uh, I lost myself in thoughts about characters actually this time around. Okay. I do have a lot to say about characters for this. Um, yeah, cause this is, uh, this was my third time reading Alloy of Law. Yeah. Third time, which is really funny to me. Like I normally, my MO with series is that I reread all the prior books before a new one comes out, but because of the way these books came out, like I reread Alloy of Law before Shadows of Self. 
But then Bands of Morning came so fast afterward that I didn't reread Shadows of Self before Bands of Morning. I've only read Bands once. Uh, so have I. I've only read Shadows of Self and Bands once. And I didn't have time to reread all of them before the beta read. So, like, I, you know, and and then I, on the flip side, I've read various beta and gamma versions of The Lost Metal four times over the last year. Or, or I, mean, these, I should say three times so far. It'll be a fourth time when we cover it on, on the show here. But these are easier to reread given their length. This isn't like a rereading Stormlight. Yeah. And and it's easier to remember what happened because, like mm-hmm. you said, like this book is like a fifth the length of Rhythm of War. <laughs> and God. and it's only, what, a handful of days and... Yeah, there's, there isn't mm-hmm. the amount of detail. There aren't as many characters to remember... And a lot of the world building has already been done. You're already familiar with it from reading Miss Born Era One. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. and and he scales the world building really well in this. Like, you you learn about the Ruffs and Ellenda, and that's all you need to know in this book. And as Miss Born Era Two goes on, of course, he brings us to new locations. But like, it's as far as the Alive Law goes, there are only two locations that you really need to know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, easy to remember. I I forgot about the. I mean, the, there are short little time skips of months, you know. But what do you mean? Yeah, the time there's, skips? there's like a time skip of, I think five months. Uh, it says it at the very beginning of that chapter. Yeah, five months between the prologue and chapter one, and then oh yeah, yeah, and then six months between chapter one and chapter two. Right. And then from chapter two onward, it's like three days, two or three days. Right. But again, I have no problem with this. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, yeah, like this book is just fun. Uh, in a weird way, like I, I almost think I like Era Two more than Era One. Mm. I, I, I have a feeling that's a bit of a controversial opinion. Nope. <laughs> but like, it's, I. I for one thing, I think Brandon is a much better writer. Well, sure. You know, he learned a lot from working on the Wheel of Time and working with, you know, but, professional editors and and getting more experience writing in the Cosmere under his belt. And so, like, I think his prose is much smoother in this book. Um, like I said, you know, even when I have that issue with his use of metaphors, like there aren't as many of those in this book as there have been in other books, you know. Uh, but Erewhon's so thing. original. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, this doesn't have the same weight. No, it doesn't. It, it, yeah, the stakes Era are much has, lower. Yeah. Where, where we've got not only the weight of history of a thousand years, um, but we've got the weight of like consequences. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I totally understand why most people prefer Era One over Era Two, but like I, I just find the experience of reading Mistborn Era Two a lot of fun, like more fun. I mean, you know, and and I'm also pretty vocal about the issues I have with Well of Ascension, so that also tints my opinion. <laughs> oh my god! But well, but the well ending... of Ascension has one of the best endings he's ever read. I was gonna say, but the first half of that book, maybe for sixty percent is a massive problem. It's a bunch of treading water. 
Oh man, I need to go back and see what you've said about this. Yeah, go go listen to our Wall of Ascension episodes if you haven't. Uh, I the the <laughs> part massive one problem. I was pretty I was pretty harsh on that one. It's probably an overstatement. That's, well of Ascension might be my least favorite Cosmere book. Oof, what? Okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. It's talk to me. Not alloy of law. <laughs> talk to me after Era Three. You know. Ooh, I'm excited for I'm Era so Three. Excited. <laughs> Gonna have like a, a misborn or, or misting uh, computer programmer and like <laughs> a mis- misting SWAT team hunting down a misborn serial killer. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can tell Brandon's excited, and his excitement translates to me. Yeah. Is Era Three like our time? Eighties. Uh, it, it's 80s. somewhere in yeah, like eighties to nineties tech. Like, and then uh, computers are around, but it's there isn't like the proliferation of computers the way there is today. Got it. That's as I understand it. Obviously he hasn't written any of it yet, but he might <laughs> just make from, some decisions yeah, in, interview, yeah. you know, like, uh, yeah. Words of Brandon on Arcanum and stuff like that. But, uh, uh characters. Yeah. So trying to think if there's any more style points, if, if not, we can just like, if things pop up, we can save that for miscellaneous at the end. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Shall we talk characters? Yes. All right, Lauren, take it away. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if this is going to be good or bad. I Well, we've got two very divisive characters being introduced here, and those are Wayne and Steris. And I really wanted to discuss how you guys maybe felt the first time versus this time, those introductions and how you feel about those characters. Like, you you mean how I feel about how they were introduced or just overall? Both. Definitely both. I mean, I can tell you that I I can tell you the short answer is Wayne annoying at first. Uh, Steris loved the whole way. The whole way? Interesting. The whole way. Why don't we start with her then? (laughs) (laughs) I, I think... I think I had the same reaction to Steris that most people did. Um, the first time I read this book, I was like, eh, you know, like she, she really seemed stuck up and annoying and, you know, but of course, now that I, I know more about her character after having read the later books, going back and rereading Alloy of Law, like she's just endearing. All the way through, like the scene toward the end, especially when she, you know, sits down in the like in the police station with with wax at the end and kind of has a moment of vulnerability and affection. And, you know, and and she admits she's like, I'm not good with people like you. You understand, like there was desperation on our side coming into this arrangement as well. And she admits like she'd had three previous engagements broken off because the guy's deeply disliked her and like didn't even tell her in person. They sent her letters like detailing all of her problems. And you know, that's, that's one of those just, yeah, like really. That's heartbreaking. I kind of like get vibes of like a personality disorder with her. Yeah. So she's, she is autistic. She's canonically autistic. Oh, Oh, we have confirmed that. Yeah. Brandon. Yeah. Brandon's. Yeah. Well, that, that, that explains that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I then mean, doesn't so much of her character make sense with that? I mean, 
Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Assuming. Her... Right. Assuming she's like, um, lightly on the spectrum, I suppose. Functioning. I don't know if it's even a light thing. I think she's, you know, I mean, obviously it's not like a severe thing because like you said, yeah. she's, she is capable of being an independent person in, in a world without a, a whole lot of support for mental health issues. Right. <laughs> um, but. Interesting. I didn't know that. Did he confirm that in an interview or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a while ago, I'd have to look up. Hmm. Um, well, so her first intro, when she has that whole contract written out, I was like, oh, okay, all right. And then when she's at dinner and everybody else is having a good time and she's like, I'm going to leave. You all need to compose yourselves and you should be ashamed. I was <laughs> like, oh, great. She's We've got a character with a stick up her butt, mm-hmm. you know, the first time, the first time. Reading it again now, of course, I have an appreciation for her. Did you wait? So you didn't know she was autistic either on this read through? No, no, I didn't know until Drew just said that. Really? Maybe, maybe I was told and I forgot. That definitely Um, explains a lot. Yeah. Okay. So the earliest I can find reference is 2015. At the Shadows of Self San Diego signing, somebody asked if she's autistic, and Brandon said she's definitely on the spectrum, more toward where Asperger's used to be, not nearly as far along in the spectrum as Renarin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I I see her resourcefulness this time, where she's like, I cannot just freewheel it in society or with relationships. So I'm going to come to every situation fully prepared for all contingencies and try for the best outcome that I can by preparing. Yeah, I I mean, you get she's fiercely independent, although I think she's probably uh, shoehorned into a lot from her father. Yes, I think there was an interesting dynamic and, and a dynamic that I had honestly forgotten about where at the wedding wax gets this impression that he's like, maybe her father's more under her thumb than the other way around where she goes off to the bathroom. Cause she's all, you know, she's annoyed that wax was, you know, mm-hmm. scandalizing her. And while she's gone, Lord harms is like, I'm going to go over there with my friend and like, get into the hard stuff because if Steris were here, she wouldn't let me, she'd get on my case. I don't remember and that. Max is like, Oh, interesting. And that's, he says like, that's how her mother was. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what? But then oh, that makes you think that maybe he did not handle her mother. Well, either. Of course mm, not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think that's like, Oh, she's just like her mother. He kept a mistress and fathered an illegitimate child. And, and there's that, you know, the consideration Wax has to the mistress clause where, where he's like, how messed up is that? That Steris just assumed that that's a reality of marriage oh, because that that's hurt. what she saw, yeah. that that it's going to be loveless between the husband and wife. And you just do your conjugal duty a couple times a week 
until you have an heir and then you have your real connection, you know, with a with a mistress. That's that so makes sad. Or the coachman. So that make you appreciate everything so much more with her. I mean, it I does. felt like I did without knowing any of this, but yeah. Also makes me appreciate my wife quite a bit. Well, <laughs> yeah. You guys well, don't have I a contract. Which, uh, by the way, Jared, congratulations on your first anniversary this weekend. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Congrats. It's now crazy how fast who listens time to speaking flies. out loud knows Jared's married. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. Um, I so I will say at the end, uh, Wax like shoves her out of the hole and says, "Run, like run to the police station," and she like. When it's in a tough situation like that, she just does. She's Acts. not She's not going to whine about it. She's not going to be difficult. Like she, we see the first time her being who you want in these tough situations. Yep. And I appreciated that. Like she, she could have been that obnoxious character to be, you know, a foil for the others. See, this is interesting, though. There are now all these times with her dialogue where I was originally like, oh, like, she kind of has a dry sense of humor. Where it's like, no, yeah. this is an autistic thing. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So, how, I don't know if you remember, were you upset that Wax said no to Marcy at the end, the first time you read it? Yes. You were upset? I think... It made for a romantic story, and I was like, stick up her butt or romantic? <laughs> well, <laughs> romantic. But this I time around, I have a lot more context. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say no, just because I kind of expected him to have that reaction. Yeah, I, given I his blast. Yeah. I was glad when Wax turned Marisi down because it would have been too cliche. Yes. It would have been also, too expected. That's also so, true. Yeah. So I was, I was happy when he said, you know, like we're going to proceed with the arrangement and, and he just deflects Marisi. And, but I also don't think that's, I don't think like Brandon did that just to avoid cliche. I think it's consistent with his character. Oh, hundred percent. Right. And I'm, I'm also glad because now that this is, getting into things beyond this book. Um, but I won't go into details. I just, Marcy is probably my favorite character in air two. And I think she would have been a much weaker character had her whole like motivation just revolved around getting wax's approval. You know, like if her whole thing was just, Oh, she's a romantic interest, but instead Mm -hmm. she, because wax turns her down she finds something else to do. And Brandon gets to write a much more interesting story as a result. Yep. Um, but so Lauren, you brought up Wayne. Yeah. Who is definitely the most controversial character. Um, so Jared, you said you're annoyed by Wayne. Yeah, I think for the most part, I, I, I feel like it gets better. Um, the longer into the book you go, but. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, what do you think? Obnoxious. Okay. So I've been... Go ahead, Jared. Nah, it's just, yeah. Annoying and obnoxious. Mm-hmm. 
So I've been wrestling with how I feel about Brandon's type of humor with characters like Wayne. And I think I've decided that for me, I really enjoy Wayne. And really? specifically wow. because he is everything but boring. Like as as a character, you're not you don't get to expect what he's going to do, where he's going to be, what he's going to leave you, what he's going to take. Like there is no there there aren't these boring, predictable moments. Like he would be a fun friend for me. I and I think I really appreciate that after realizing like, yeah, I, I, I had the opportunity to be with boring people and I chose <laughs> no. <laughs> and, it, and it's, it's a history in my family as well. Like my grandmother really had her choice of guys in that, in the town where she grew up and mm-hmm. she picked like the least boring one even though she could have had money with the others well drew you're not boring so there yeah. <laughs> no i mean i'm not adventurous like lauren <laughs> <laughs> i mean but i like i like that i have i've come to peace with the fact that yes he can be annoying but it doesn't matter i still like the spontaneity more My problem is that I feel like sometimes with his humor, he'll pick a character to have like a tick, you know, or like a a thing that they do. And then he just takes that and like runs with it. Yes. Too far. And I think Wayne's a good example of that. Like, yeah, there's a reason that so many of his comic relief characters feel the same. You got Wayne and Miss Bourne, you got Lopin, you got Lyft, Lopin, you got Cody yeah. and the Reckoners. They all are like the same sort of funny where they, they all have a thing that is just taken to ridiculous levels. And it's like the thing that they do, then he just repeats that over and yeah. over. Like Wayne with his hats, you know, or trading things. like And accents, yeah. And accents, although... I would I like say the, the, the accents thing is pretty talented, but <clears throat> I mean, oh yeah, for sure. The way that he thinks about it so deeply where he's like, okay, this dialect is rising. This dialect is dying and people change as they move places or change their position in life. And he talks about their word choice and how waxes has changed and he pays attention. Like, I like that he cares so deeply about other people that he notices takes the time to notice i think maybe like there's no doubt that he's intelligent i think my problem might be more with how he's written than him as a character yeah like what like as in you know how i think i would interact with someone like him Mm -hmm. yeah so i don't like Wayne. Wayne is one of my least favorite characters 
that Brandon's ever written. But I have to say, rereading this book, he's not as bad in Alloy of Law as I think he gets in Shaz Self and Bands of Morning, especially. Um, he is featured in one of my favorite scenes. I'll say that. <laughs> like, like there, there were moments in this book that I found myself genuinely amused. Like I, I think he did the humor mostly well. He didn't go overboard with it the way he does in later books. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, I don't know, like the the scene where Wax realizes Marcy is. Uh, not a cousin that she's an illegitimate child and and Wayne's like wow like great job wax I at least I wait till the second date to call someone a bastard like you know that that was amusing (laughs) to me like that that scene was funny and it's like maybe just because in this book it's still the start of it and Brandon hasn't had time to go overboard with the Wayne yet yeah but I didn't mind Wayne in this book I also found it really, I find his obsession with Renette really amusing. <laughs> uh, it's funny in this book. Again, like that's <laughs> one of those issues. Like it gets, gets kind of creepy in, in, uh, Shouse Self and Bands of Mourning. Like where she makes it very clear to him, like, this is not happening. You need to leave me alone. And he doesn't. And, and that like. That's but like too the, far. there's just like the one scene in this book where you're like, oh wow, like this. Look at this guy making a fool of himself. You know, like that was funny. Yeah. So isn't she lesbian, or am I totally? Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 There's a there's a a brief reference where uh, Marcy and Wax are talking, and and Wax tells her, you know, Renette is not interested in Wayne that way. I'm not even sure she's interested in any man that way. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's not explicitly confirmed in this book. The way I, don't know, it I find it weird though, is like Wayne, who seems like someone that would be very attuned and observant about that kind of thing. It really seems like he's not when it comes to Renette. We all have our blind spots. Clearly attraction is his. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so we haven't talked about wax yet. Which I find interesting since he's the main character and we just <laughs> skipped straight. So is this a, a situation? Do you guys feel like the side characters are just way more interesting than the main character? I was about to say that exact. <laughs> I think he's the he's the least interesting, but I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I don't dislike Wax, but I yeah. don't think he's that compelling a character. Um, I mean, I'm he's still got a like pretty straightforward you know, kind of motivation and character arc. Um, he's, he's a fun character to ride around in his head because he's got cool abilities. Um, I kind of, yeah, I've that, always judged it like a miscellaneous, but do I feel like when I get to that character's POV, am I happy or annoyed? And he's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I'm definitely not annoyed when I get to him. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I did not remember there being Marisy points of view in this book. I thought that was something that started in Shadows of Self, mm-hmm. um, but she had like two or three chapters yeah. from her point of view. Uh, it's but a little it was hard. Definitely mostly wax. Like wax is a little hard to like that first scene with what's her name, Lessie. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
I don't know when it happens when it's the opening scene like that. It's really hard to like get into their head, the character's head with it and sort of sympathize with them because you have no build up to the scene or context, you know, so it just doesn't hit like you would expect it to do for them personally, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does, because um, it kind of feels like he's pushing all of his emotions to the side and moving on. I didn't even realize that she was his wife until Drew mentioned that. I totally missed that. He kind of, he only makes like side references to it. Okay. He's like, my family didn't know about her. Um, I mean, he does explicitly say that she's his wife during that prologue. Oh, I totally missed that. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd have to find it. But it is, yeah, like it, it is a weird situation because she's only in the one scene, but she, like, kind of makes you know, uh, an outsized impact on him. Uh, the other thing that I, I still struggle with is that wax blames himself for the death, obviously. Um, but he never even engages with or addresses the fact that bloody tan clearly moved her. It's not that he missed the shot. It's that bloody tan moved her in front of the shot. Like, and, and that, like, the fact that he never deals with that and he just blames himself for missing the shot bothers me on, like, a logical level. And I know you can explain that away to a certain extent where it's like, oh, well, this is not a rational thing. You know, it's it's an emotional deal where he killed his own wife. But, but like, I, I don't know. I was going to say victim mentality is not logical. No. Yeah, it's it still bothers me. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd maybe sum it up as I'm more interested in uh, the backstory with his family than I am in him as a character. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <clears throat> I re rereading this book now. There's some really good foreshadowing. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> when he wrote this, he was not planning a full trilogy, but he used what he wrote in this book very well going forward in the rest of era two. Like he definitely and purposely left himself the out to write more books with wax and Wayne along this plot line. But, but I know for a fact that when he wrote this, he wasn't like, yes, I'm going to write a four book series based on these characters. Yeah. So, how much are we allowed to talk about greater Cosmere implications? So this? Uh, we'll have a segment later in the episode where we'll take the spoiler gloves off and, and talk yeah. full Cosmere. Um, at least other series. I don't want to talk about like Shadows of Self and Bands of Mourning things. Right, but, right. But we can talk about the things in this book as they connect to other okay. series. Yeah. I mean... We do have some some points where says talks to him. Yep. Yes, indeed. And very that, odd conversations, but yes. 
They are a little weird. For sure. I, I like it. I like the way Seizid communicates with him. With like the earring? <laughs> it's frustrating, but at the same time, Seizid's sense of humor comes through. Yeah, I was going to say... That little, you know, that little hint of what you liked about him in Erewhon. You can tell it's him when you read it. Yeah. Yes. He he is a very strong character. Yeah. Like, when he, you know, during the final battle and Wax is like, you know... I could have used a little help. And he's like, I believe a little help is what you got. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I do. I do also appreciate that. Um, stays clearly put in the effort to have multiple religions present in this new world. Like he knew that there was a place for religion and he clearly encouraged it. And I see his hand in like all of the ones we're introduced to. Uh, wanna... We're we're gonna talk more about the religions in the Cosmere section. So okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I would I would have one exception maybe. What's that? I'm talking about Trell. Oh oh well, so that's that's one thing that's I'm going to specifically bring up in <laughs> the Cosmere section. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. In fact, I need to find that that chapter because there's a quote that I forgot about anyway uh, are there any other characters you guys want to talk about uh do you want to go more into marasi because you love her sure um so yeah like we get just the the beginnings of of you know where she's going in this but we get enough about her to appreciate the kind of person that she is that she chose to you know go to university and that she chose to do something that was a challenging thing and taking herself out of her comfort zone. We get so much about how she's embarrassed by things in this book. And a lot of, you know, her character art going forward is her becoming comfortable with who she is and, and learning to not be embarrassed about it. But at this stage of things, she is just like this endearing, you know, kind of cute, fun but smart and talented person like she's you know she's got her issues but i i love the way she approaches life i would say endearing you would appreciate that too because she reminds me a lot of you in some ways oh yeah yeah i I can definitely see that and how i did things too where it's like you you know you need to find yourself and then be confident in who you found yeah. And appreciate who you are, but that transition is not quick. You yeah. know, pursuing that passion that maybe doesn't fall into the normal path. <laughs> yeah, and like it might be hard for her at the time, but part of her growing up is handling the rejection um from from wax and growing from it. Yeah, and and I think on some level she realizes that it would not be good. Yeah. Their relationship, it would not be healthy and it would not grow either of them well. I, you know, and, and also, like, can you imagine the betrayal for poor Steris? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the enough. thing. I wonder what kind of relationship they have, like her and Steris. I don't think they're close. Yeah. And they're apart in age. Um, 
but it seems like Steris is much more developed into who she is at this point in the series. How different in age are they? I don't think it said. Um, I mean, Steris is definitely older. I think they... But I don't think we got actual ages for them in this. Hmm. Hmm. I think it was like, like a, a side reference, but... Is university age like it would be college for us? Yeah, she's in her final year at the university. <clears throat> so maybe she's early 20s. Yeah. And we have fewer references for Steris because she didn't, I guess, go through those same milestones being a lady of society. Besides the fact that she's dealt with, what, like three potential marriages and had those fall apart? We don't have anything else about her, like her, her pursuing her interests or, yeah. Hobbies. Hobbies. But she's clearly comfortable with um, how she wants things and she will ask for what she wants. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, maybe we can just like kind of go straight to Cosmere stuff. <laughs> okay. I, f- I feel like I don't have a whole lot of miscellaneous unless you guys do. Uh, no. Miscellaneous thoughts are Cosmere thoughts, so. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. So, uh, this will be the warning um, for any listeners. Uh, we will be talking Cosmere things for the next, I don't know, five, ten minutes or so. And, uh, and that will include full spoilers for Stormlight, Warbreaker, Elantris, White Sand, you know, like the non-Mistborn things, we will not talk about stuff about Shadows of Self or, or Bands of Mourning. Um, so if you're caught up on everything else, you can keep listening. Or if you don't care about spoilers, keep listening. <laughs> but otherwise, maybe skip ahead a little bit. Um, so, so yeah. And I don't think this is going to be a super long conversation because there. this is such a focused story. It's not like we're getting a ton of Cosmere. There are touches. There's some... There's some, yeah, some touches. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to start with Sazed or do you want to talk about? Well, Jared, what do you want? What do you want to kick off with? Let's start with him. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is the first time we get, you know, the term harmony. We find out about what sort of a shard Sazed is, uh, that he is the combination of ruin and preservation. And we get a little bit of a, you know, in his conversation with Wax, a little bit of an insight into how those powers are affecting him, where he's like, he's like, I'm Harmony. I'm not here to like play favorites. I'm here to balance things out. I'm I'm here to keep an equilibrium. And allow for full potential. I think he says yeah. through Marsh at some point or something. Mm, I mean, Marsh or, only or appears it's... in one scene when he talks to... Yeah, he. I can't... He might say it when he's talking to um, Wax during the fight, or he says it. That's the only time he talks. Kind of via Marsh. So so Marsh talks to Marcy, and she's like, um, she thinks that Marsh wants her to like warn Wax off. And he says, no, I wish him to be informed. Harmony has particular views about how things must be done. I do not always agree with him. 
oddly, his particular beliefs require that he allow that. That's all he says about um, harmony. Okay, maybe it's a reference that he makes when he's talking. So how much, when he is now harmony, how much is it now Sazed personality versus the identification of the shard? That is a great question. (laughs) I think he's still in there pretty well. Because, I mean, you still see Sazed in the way he talks, for sure. Yeah, like he he still has his affectations. Um, Yeah, so he says, I must be careful in playing favorites. It upsets the balance. And Wax replies, your god isn't playing favorites kind of the point. No, the point is harmony, creating a way for as many as possible to make their own choices. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. So it's like his personality, but it still seems like he's bounded by the idea of the shards. Yeah, he can't necessarily do everything he wants to do because the power is pulling at him. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is where, you know, some of the biggest theories out of Eretu have come from. You know, this question of how much of Sezid is still left. Um, yeah. Things like we know from... Miss Bornera one that preservation gave a little extra of himself into creating humanity and that preservation and ruin were thus a little bit out of balance. There's a little more to ruin. Now says it holds both of them, but he, by that logic holds a little more of ruin. So how does that affect the balance? And so there's, there's a pretty, you know, a pretty uh, prevalent theory at this point that, uh, Harmony may become discord at some point that says as he loses himself will start coming out of balance. That's uh, that that seems like a very, that seems like a very full tilt in one direction. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are theories about like, you know, maybe he's to prevent that from happening. He's going to split off that extra piece of ruin. Like I've seen theories that, uh, people think Trell is an avatar of Harmony created by that extra piece of ruin that he broke off. Ugh. I've seen theories <laughs> that Trell is Harmony, that he just doesn't recognize himself okay. because he's, you know, like... So, we haven't talked about Trell, so maybe clarify that first. Um, I mean, sure. So Trell is the god that uh, Miles worships. Um, yeah, and, isn't that in his last words? So this is the interesting thing. Trell is in Mistborn Era 1. It's one of the religions that Sezed presents to Kelsier. And the name of the religion is Trellagism. T-R-E-L-A-G-I-S-M. The religion that Miles follows is Trellism. T-R-E-L-L-I-S-M. And we don't get a whole lot of... Uh, you know, we, we don't get a whole lot of info about what Trellism involves other than there is clearly an idea behind Miles's philosophy that there's like an elevation that certain people have been given power and have been chosen to be special. Um, and then in his final words, you know, he says, worship Trell, worship Trell and wait. Um, but even from those little things, that doesn't really line up with the religion Sezed told uh, Kelsier about. 
That yeah. religion was all about uh, two gods, Trell and Nalt. Nalt being a jealous brother, and he is the sun in the sky, and Trell is the thousand the th- thousand eyes of Trell, or the stars. And uh, Day and night? Huh? Yeah, and, and so there's a day and night thing. There's mm-hmm. also Nalt shares, or perhaps is the root for Nalthus, the world Warbreaker takes place on. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of mystery around that. People have asked Brandon about it, and he has not exactly given straight answers. Um, but the day Shocker. and night thing, of course, this is where the other big uh, Trell theory comes from. And this is one that I will proudly say, as far as I know, I'm the first person who ever came up with this theory that Trell is autonomy. Um, uh, the shard from White Sand Uh the planet Taldane is tidally locked. There is a permanent day side and a permanent dark side. And uh, there's also a character who shows up in White Sand named Trell, who's like a random foreman uh, that the main characters, you know, encounter when like a building collapses. Um, and like, I actually, so I had gotten access to the prose rough draft of White Sand Uh I think it was 2013 or 2014 I got it. And I read it, noticed Trell in it. And at the time, there were no forums to talk about White Sand. Uh, Very few people had read the book. There was one, um, like, private message chat on 17th Shard. Like, not even a forum, like a message board. It was, like, a chat channel. And you had to, like... It was a password-protected channel, and the password was, like, a term from White Sand that you could only know if you, you know, had read it. And I went in, and I searched through the entire chat history, and nobody had mentioned Trell. And at this point, the only time, like, Alloy of Law was out, but Shadows of Self wasn't, you know. And so at the Shadows of Self release in Denver, the day the book came out, I hadn't yet read Shadows of Self because we had just bought our books. I asked Brandon if that character in White Sand was connected to the religions on Scadriel. And he got like, you know, this sparkle in his eye. And he was like, that's a very good eye. Yes, he is. And uh, and and so I I like used that and I wrote up a whole theory. And based on the fact that the religions, the trilogism and trellism don't really align based on what we can see about the tenets that Miles talks about. Um, there's this character named Trell on on Taldane and White Sand. You know, the, the original Trellogism religion has thematic similarities to the idea of Taldane with the day side and dark side. Um, well, go to, go to what Miles says. Well, so the thing that I really want to talk about, though, which I think is fascinating, is that Miles... So Miles says, why had Trell made men like him if not to see things righted? The words of founding had even included a lengthy explanation of Trellism and its teachings, which proved men like Miles were special. That is very weird to me. That Trellism and the teachings of Trellism that Miles knows were included in the words of founding, which Sezed gave to them. But Sezed called it Trellogism, and the information in that was very different. The tenets of trilogism were very different. Something got messed up here. Yeah. 
uh, messed up. That's what do you what mean? The question is, is As this in... an early action of Discord where Seized is like messing with himself because, you know, or is this an outside influence coming in and screwing with Seized? Outside influence. That's where you're leaning? I don't, I'm not, like, I don't really see the Seized, like, leaning towards his ruin side you know yeah it doesn't that doesn't feel right we we do have a more recent word of brandon where he does say that they are not balanced and that as in ruin and preservation yeah yes and and that says is um more and more bound by their wills the longer he holds them and their opposing wills mean that he's bound to inaction. But I guess the outside influence is hard too because wouldn't he be one of the most powerful right now given that he holds two? Yes, but he is not all that aware as we can see in Stormlight. Or is it like... They fight against each other, so it cancels out some of that power, perhaps. Uh, I think the powers there, the will is the hmm. canceling, but he also, if he can't do a whole lot of action, then he can't do a whole lot of investigating. Hmm. You know? And I, I think that's really what's tying his hands is. A, he's very occupied with what's going on on the planet. And and B, he, he can't do a whole lot outside. Like maybe some of the other shards can have more freedom of travel than he does. So I'm not sure which um, word of Brandon you're talking about, Lauren. I, I don't recall a recent one like that. I know... Like the one that this whole theory came from was from 2018, where somebody asked if Harmony could become Discord, and Brandon said it is possible. He didn't say hmm. that. So In okay, the one we that got I'm... a YouTube spoiler stream. We know this is somebody just stating we know that the conflicting nature of preservation and ruins intense within Harmony makes it difficult for him to act. Does the conflict between the two also protect him? And Brandon raffled that. So this was, I remember him talking in front of a group. A Jordan Con one, maybe? Uh, or the last release party. Dragon Steel Mini Con 2021. No, that doesn't. Hmm, I, I would have to look this up. Um, I'd have to do more digging on Arcanum to find this. I don't know. I lean towards yeah. outside influence. <clears throat> Yeah, I do too. I'm wondering how much he's bound on planet. Says it. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely invested in Scadrial. As far as we know, it takes a pretty significant effort for a shard to divest itself from a planet. Yeah. Um, And I don't think he's interested in divesting himself. No, no. But I guess it's plausible that another shard could be influencing things here 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that was my theory. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, are there any other Cosmere things that we want to talk about here? I, I don't think there's anything off the top of my head that jumps out. Not like Cosmere, but just the appearance of Marsh at the end. <clears throat> yeah, well, su- such a great moment. Like, <laughs> Yes, um, but that's oh. probably among our shared scenes, I'm sure. Well, so there's a reference in the broadsheet. Oh, okay. Well, this is something we got to talk about, of course, with style is the oh, yeah. of the broadsheets. Those are um, fun. But there, there's like a little ad in it that's like, uh, it's like 10 ways to, to keep iron eyes away. Like, I, I don't remember the, the exact wording on it. By the way, that's not in the audio. They don't have the broadsheets at all? No. Wow, that sucks. Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Really? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Sad day. And I think we got an extra one from the release. Um, We got a, a physical broadsheet from... Shadows of Self at the Shadows of Self signing in Denver. Okay. Yeah. I really wish I could have gotten, like, you know, broadsheets for Bands of Mourning. Yeah, Iron Eyes sightings on the rise. Reports are flooding the city. Sightings of Iron Eyes himself. <laughs> when death stalks the streets of Allendale, how can you know that you are safe? Printed here are 16 tips proven to keep Iron Eyes from your home. Wards are included to make him pass over you while sleeping and to frighten him if the worst happens and you encounter him in person. Exclusive report on the back, fourth column. Don't be one of the few left without proper protection. Read on or else. <laughs> like, I really love the the broadsheets and the way he uses that to fill out the world building without mm-hmm. bloating the book, you know? Like, instead of having some extra scene that the only purpose of it is to show the growing conflict between the advancement of technology and people who are comfortable in what they have. You know, like there we see through editorials that like some people are all about cars and some people say cars are a menace. And, you know, we, there's like ads for new guns there. There's a political cartoon about the nobility paying off the middle class. There's, you know, like union leader abandoned solidarity with trade union party members there's a, an ad for electric lights, you know, like so many things that if, if you wanted to include that organically in the story, you'd have to write full scenes around that. And that slows the pace of the story. But with the broadsheet, it, it gives them so much flexibility in world building. It's a lot of fun. I just want to see Marsh's or be in Marsh's head when he reads. <laughs> yeah. When he reads like 16 BS ways to keep him away. I can just see him kind of chuckling. Like, oh he has a gosh. sense of humor. Yeah. He would laugh. Yeah, he would. He totally would. I mean, his is a little dry. Yeah. But that makes it more fun. Yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, actually Miles or Marshall? I guess Miles. Well, so I'm going to talk about Miles more in my final scene. Although maybe this is no, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for it because one of my favorite scenes includes Miles. So, okay, yeah. Um, but do we have any other miscellaneous or Cosmere points before we go into favorite scenes? I did not. Warren? Nope. Okay. Well, uh, let's do it then. Uh, Jared, why don't you kick us off? 
Well, my number uh, three I, was you an honorable mention. Oh uh, yeah, I guess I can start with my my honorable mention was Mark showing up at the end. Okay. Yeah. Only honorable mention. <laughs> yeah, it's because I mention for me too. What? It's because I yeah. came up with my three favorite, and then Drew mentioned it, and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, so that's honorable mention. Number three, though, um, I put the scene with his uncle at the end, Edwin. Oh, okay, yeah. For also pot- potential implications there as well. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Lauren, what about you? Third favorite? Hmm, I think... Maybe Wax and, and Miles fighting on the train. <laughs> no, that's not. That was a good one. I can't do it. Okay. I, um. I, when we first like really get to see what it means to be a twin born like him in, in this era of guns. Yeah, doesn't he like shoot him through the eye in that scene? Yeah, and then the forehead. <laughs> and and Miles doesn't even flinch. Like hearing about him as as a marshal or whatever he is in the roughs is one thing, but seeing it in action is totally different. And it it just kind of makes it real for the first time. Okay. Well, I guess my third it, favorite is uh Renette's workshop. <laughs> uh, I, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that that whole scene was a lot of fun. I liked seeing the way she had it set up, where she can just like use her allomancy to make her life easier while she's working on things. Like all the doors have can open either way, so she can, you know, she's just, like, like move through a casual allomancer or like using it in casual activities. Yeah, yeah, like that's a hundred percent the way I would use allomancy if I. <laughs> Lift your beer that. over. Yeah. How would that work? You would push and, against. And clearly, like she, she hands wax like a nail for his his sheet that he wants to put up, and he's like, "Wait, wait, really? You want me to destroy your wall?" And and to her, it's just like, "I do what's convenient." Yeah. It's, it is not important what the wall looks like or what. You know, everything is for convenience. I, I move the doors without touching them because I am so focused on what I'm doing or I want to do it like, you know, quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that scene was just a lot of fun for me. <laughs> uh, number two for you, Jared. Uh, my second favorite. So I mentioned earlier, one of mine was with Wayne. Um, and so that's the scene where he's impersonating several people when they have their whole operation to get yeah. wax into the the uh train car Mm -hmm. that's fun starts off as an old woman and then becomes an Mm -hmm. old woman and then becomes a a, A guard house guard (laughs) yeah that that was fun yeah how about you drew you're second oh fine okay (laughs) uh second from the top is rossi turning to miles and being like yeah, you're going to be beat by something even less than that. Me. And just like when he realizes. <laughs> like the. Uh, a, her kind of like bubble. her gotcha moment at the end. Mm-hmm. Ah, strong. Like she she could have died doing that. That was not a smart decision. However, like that gotcha moment. Mm, 
You knew, you knew though, once Sanderson was explaining that her ability was useless and she could never do anything, you knew that she was going to like. I wasn't thinking about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, It was still cool. It was super, very cool. Yeah, it was. Um, So my second favorite was uh, the execution of Miles 100 Lives. Hmm. Um, His death rattle, for lack of a better term. You know, when he talks about the men of red and gold, bearers of the final medal, like just without even going into the story implications of what that means, that one line was so effective for just opening up possibilities. Like it's ominous. It's, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not nebulous, but it's... uh, like you don't have the context to figure out what it means. You're like the final medal. What the heck, you know? And like important. Yeah, it, it gives you enough hints to like get the mind racing, trying to figure out what it means. But it it does it in this really inscrutable way. Like I, a decade plus later, this line still is burned into my into my brain. Like I, I love this moment. I love this line. I think it's one of the cleverest things Brandon's done. It's, it's super, super cool. I do think, um, he like, I know we didn't do much character on him, but I think he was a very good antagonist. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Complicated guy, not just, you know, cartoonishly evil. And Mm, similar to our protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that kind of realization toward the end that, in in the final empire miles would have been a hero yeah and at the same time that makes us think about oh what about our heroes from the final empire Mm. might they be villains now like i really did think yeah and that's you know and when you think about kelsier this is something brandon has talked about in in interviews and and at signings and things like the guy's like kind of a a a cold-blooded murderer like he's not a good dude he just happened to be a, a hero in the place and time. You know, Brandon has said, all right, he's like in a different story, Kelsier could be the villain. And, yes. and this is the different story and a character sort of like Kelsier is the villain. Yeah. Well, now I got to go reread air one. <sighs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Jared, what's your favorite scene? Yeah. My favorite was the end when, um, Kelsier is coming or not Kelsier geez when wax is coming out of the train car and they rip out the door and it pulls out the string or of the, the <laughs> fuse for the bomb. Yeah. That's probably that was like the good, most, good the most visual scene for me. Yeah. He did write that well. And wow, then, man. yeah. And that's the same. Yeah. It's the same one where then miles like literally blows himself up. Pretty much to get out yeah, of when he gets trapped in the nets and he just sets off a stick of dynamite to free himself. Oh and you're just like, god. oh my god, how does this guy die? Good lord. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for me, it is Iron Eyes at the end, where it's like can't fault you there. Okay. Well, here's here's the confirmation that there is a much bigger plot and that Sace is aware and Marsh is aware. And 
they want to be involved with our main characters in this era and they're going to have their you know their fingers in the pot that yep. that's just it just sets up so much excitement and i know that so many stories end this way but it gets me every time <laughs> there are some scenes where i feel like uh, you can see Brandon writing it as you're reading. Like you can envision him writing this as you're reading it. And that's one of those <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, my favorite scene was uh, wax versus miles on the train. You should um, expound on that. I. So the, my reasoning is actually very different from Lauren's. Right. Uh, I think that of all the books Brandon has written, this one needs to be made into a feature length movie. Like this is, this is in my opinion, where Hollywood should start with Brandon Sanderson. It, in era two? Because it is the easiest that. story to adapt to a movie. Um, like you could do Mistborn as a, like a, you know, a Netflix series or, you know, HBO or whatever, like before this, but as far as bringing it to the big screen, this is the first movie they should make for Brandon Sanderson. Um, it has a, an easy enough, simple enough, streamlined enough story to fit into a two hour long movie. Yeah. And this scene in particular is like, this is, this would be so great on a screen. This scene on the train, like, Hollywood executives should be drooling over the chance to to adapt that. Like, it's so visual, it's so cinematic. Like, I I can play that movie in my head as I'm reading the scene. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent fight. It's got great stakes. It shows Miles as a really dangerous antagonist. It it just it's the whole package. Like I and and in a lot of ways, it sort of is emblematic of what I perceive era two as being. This is what defines the possibilities of Allomancy and Ferrochemy with this stage of technology. Okay. All right. I'd say I mean, it's up I mean, there. Westerns do well. People like, yeah, people like this. Yeah. I think it's just a hard place to start though. If I mean, but it, But it's a low stakes story. You don't have to write it as like, you know, this big grand Cosmere epic. Like this can stand on its own. I like your point that maybe he can start with era one in a series. We've seen the success of these TV series. And era one, those, those are way harder to adapt for a movie. Like you could maybe make the first book fit in a movie. The second book would need a heavy revision and the third book I do not think is adaptable in a in a movie format. Like that's just there's too much going on in too many different places to fit into a you well, know a two hour long feature movie. Well, I think we're about to find out in the next year. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I yeah. I honestly so we're recording this a couple of days before New York Comic Con, and I thought that was when we were going to get the announcement, but Brandon apparently. Uh, said yesterday that there's going to be no film adaptation announcement at, at Comic-Con. So, Oh, yeah. okay. Maybe November. Yeah. Maybe, maybe an announcement at dragon steel. I could see that. So totally a random question. I thought of why was it called alloy of law? Um, so it, 
it comes into the the themes of like combining the two types of law uh that like the law of the city and the law of the roughs and wax is having to adapt himself to create a new version of himself as a lawman using these two roots interesting okay that's the way i read it at least that's a really good answer yeah i, I literally never thought about that until right now nope. <laughs> yeah yeah uh well if we don't have anything else to discuss as far as the book itself goes uh shall we head into the final draft sure Jared, what are you drinking Today I have an old classic, uh, New Belgium Fat Tire. So you didn't Ooh. you didn't have the label facing me, but I saw yeah, the side of it, I, and I was like, uh, yeah, "Yep, definitely Fat Tire." Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even people non Colorado will be well aware. So yeah, that's a, a Fort Collins staple. They are, yes. yeah. Well, good choice. Uh, for myself, I am drinking a non-alcoholic beer. Uh, Again, from Athletic Brewing Company. This is a new one, though. Um, this is a Hoppy Hellas. And it's, it's pretty solid. You know, it, as I've definitely had better Hellases. Um, what, did you know, get like a pallet of beer from Athletic? Uh, no, so I, <laughs> I ordered like a couple of six packs from them. They have, like, they're, uh. they're in stores out here, but they have some specialty beers on their website. And I got like a, you know, a promo say. code for. I feel like the past few have been from there. Yeah, so I yeah I got this one. And it's called Trailblazer. And I guess you could you could say that uh, wax is a trailblazer, <laughs> but Lauren really has the uh, the thematically appropriate one today. Oh man! All right, so I went through the brewery's uh, beer cooler <laughs> just to see if there was something convenient, and I I found this crowler. Uh, from a brewery in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The brewery is called Gravity Bound. Which is yep. a good start. Okay. Very good start. Okay. <laughs> and this is a hazy IPA with, I believe, Citra and Strata hops. And it is called Counterweight. Oh my God. <laughs> good one. There's I don't think, a, yeah. Yeah, when, when I looked it up, though, there's also a counterweight brewing. But I don't have any of their stuff. Uh, this, though, I was definitely thinking of Wax and Wayne. Oh, yeah. Counterweights to yeah. each other. Oh. oh, I didn't think of that. I was I was just I, thinking about, like, Wax Alimency. himself as a counterweight with all of his pushing, Yeah, you know. He is, yeah. And and gravity bound where he's he's in direct opposition to that, like... There are so many applications for for counterweight in good in choice. Yeah, yeah. Maybe luckily, one of these I days a, I'll do a theme. You, yeah. <laughs> luckily, I have a I have a coworker who also has read everything, and so I can uh, discuss these things with him before I bring him in. And we have we talked about um, what if we had like a haze killer. Ooh, like he's yeah, yeah. yeah, and we wow. discussed like what that beer would be, and I think we're gonna pitch it. I think we're gonna see if we can make you it. Gotta do it gotta <laughs> now. Do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, I mean, there there is ology, and I've talked to those guys. Um, they, a few of them, are big Cosmere fans, and they've already yeah. they've started some doing some. Beers. Yeah, 
Um, I'm going to see if, if they're in town this weekend for Great American Beer Festival and we'll see oh, yeah. if they've got any ideas about doing, you know, other Cosmere beers. Love it. I hope that Brandon right, has been able to have multiple themed beers for when Stormlight Five comes out. So yeah, I, I'm, we're working on it. I have one. I already have one in in the fridge, you know, in the back, <laughs> aging. Uh, that is Stormlight themed. That is gonna get opened <laughs> in 2024 when Stormlight Five comes out. Oh, geez. But yeah, uh, but yeah. I think that brings us to the end of this episode. This has been oh boy, what. What number is this? I need to actually pull up the spreadsheet here. I think it's like 189 or 190. Yeah, let's let's scroll down here. This is 189. Yeah. 189 episodes of the Inking Out Loud podcast. That is quite a lot. Um, as always, you know, if you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud, or on Coffee if you want to make a one-time donation. That's ko-fi.com. Uh, next up we're going to be continuing on we're going to do Shadows of Self Jared and Lauren will be back for that so stay tuned there I have been your host Drew McCaffrey and with me is special guest Jared Livingston heck yes and Lauren McCaffrey thanks guys thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time